Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This week we want to talk about the parasha, the weekly Torah reading known as Chaye Sarah. It begins with Genesis 23.1 and continues through Genesis 25 verse 18. The title is somewhat of an oxymoron because Chaye Sarah means the life of Sarah. But in fact, the parasha begins by telling us that Sarah, the wife of Abraham, the founder of the covenant between Elohim and the Jewish people, dies at age 127 in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The Torah portion tells us that Abraham mourns her, then asks property owners there to grant him burial space so that he may bury his dead out of his sight. Knowing that Abraham is ennobled by God, they're willing to give Abraham the choicest land, but Abraham insists on paying for it. Only then, after paying for the land, does Abraham bury his wife in the cave of Machpelah in the land of Canaan. Feeling old and his end is nearing, the Torah portion introduces us to the epic of Abraham finding a wife for his son Isaac. The story is well known in as much as Abraham sends his trusted servant, Eliezer, to find a wife for Abraham, and he takes 10 cattle, 10 camels, and some of his master's finest things uh, to journey to Abraham's family. For Abraham tells him that you must bring a uh, son. Uh, who is part of my family and not from the Canaanites. The story is a lovely story. And uh, the servant, uh, Eliezer, uh, finds the wife who will be Rebecca. And we learn that Rebecca is related to Laban, who is related to Abraham. And we then have a story in which Abraham and Rebecca and his son Isaac form a new uh, family. The Torah portion tells us that uh, Rebecca comes with Eliezer back to the family of Abraham and indicates that Isaac was meditating in the field when he saw the families coming. Rebecca took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac the entirety of the story, and then Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. In fact, the Torah tells us that it was in place of his mother, Sarah. After this episode, a very unusual and little discussed episode begins. It tells us that Abraham takes another wife known as Keturah. 
she bore him six sons, and those sons begot more sons. But all that Abraham had, he gave to his descendant Isaac. Abraham died at the age of 175, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael come back together and bury him in the cave of Machpelah, where his wife was buried. It came to pass, it tells us in the Torah portion, that after Abraham died, God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt near the well of the living one who sees me. The descendants of Hagar, who bore Abraham's son Ishmael, are listed. Ishmael had 12 princes listed according to their tribes, and Ishmael died at 137 years, and we're told that his descendants lived in Egypt. With me this morning is Rabbi Norman M. Cohn, Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation Beth Shalom in Minnesota. Rabbi Cohn served the congregation as their senior rabbi beginning in 1981, and in the year 2015, he was uh, elected to be Rabbi Emeritus. He is a scholar of Torah and Midrashic literature. Rabbi Cohn, it's a pleasure to invite you to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Well, thank you, Rabbi Garden. It's great to be back and to hear your voice and to uh, listen to that wonderful uh, summary of the Torah portion. I was uh, mesmerized. You, you, you covered everything in such a delightful way. I'm going to go back and read the whole thing again. Well, good. Unfortunately, our listeners probably won't have time during our conversation to read the whole Torah portion, but I hope they've been enticed to do so. Um, when you and I discussed the episodes of the Torah portion, it seemed like one of the options was to begin at the beginning, and one of the options was to begin at the end. So I'm going to take the prerogative um, that I have as being the host and ask us to begin at the end. A reminder to our listeners, the end of the Torah portion tells us of Abraham remarrying a woman by the name of Keturah and starting a new family. And then the sons of his original family, Isaac, the son of Sarah, and Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the handmaiden, come to his burial and meet for the first time since Ishmael has been excluded from the Abrahamic family. Mm -hmm. So, Rabbi Cohn, why do you think that this episode brings closure to the life of Abraham? Wow, that, that's a great question. I like that we're starting at the end. You know, as, as we know, as a pulpit rabbis for so many years, when we did Torah study, we always started at the beginning and we never got to the end because <laughs> Torah study is so engaging. And, and this ending is terrific. You know, you and I shared a one, a few teachers in, in Cincinnati when we were students. And one of them was Rabbi Hanan Brichto. And he has so many great gems about this Torah portion. And, um, I love the story of Abraham's funeral. And that, um, that Ishmael and Isaac are pallbearers together because these two have been estranged for so long. They, they hadn't seen each other. And, and Ishmael was sent away with his mom, um, early on. And here they are for the first time at the father's funeral. And, and the Midrash and Rabbi Brichter reminded me of this. 
um, creates a hopeful thing between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, that is the, the Arabs and the Jews, um, the Muslims and the Jews, when he says, um, he says, they looked at each other, they're carrying this, and Ishmael says to Isaac, you know, Isaac, um, uh, I'm here, but uh, we didn't have such a good time, Dad and me. Uh, you wouldn't believe what he did to me. He sent me and my mom, Hagar, out of the wilderness to die um, when I was a little, little kid. And it, I, I just can't believe he did that. And Isaac looked over at Ishmael and he said, uh-huh, well, you're not going to believe what he tried to do to me. And <laughs> the binding of Isaac, here we all remember right. that story. And uh, that was a bond. That was a bond between them. And, uh, you know, in today's day and age, it would be nice to see that bond um, reinforced again. And, and, and uh, it, may, it may happen someday that uh, now, now there's more talks going on. And hopefully that will lead to, to even more uh, respect between uh, the different peoples of the Middle East, all of whom trace themselves to, to the, these stories. So the story... Um, gives us hope that the founders of the Abrahamic faiths mm -hmm. can find their way back to each other, even though they have uh, troubling beginnings. But I'm still interested, not just about the brothers meeting, but mm -hmm. do you have any sense of why the Torah portion um, is really bracketing with Sarah's death? Uh-huh. And then Abraham's death, but instead of Abraham just dying, he remarries. Is that simply to give us an entree into Ishmael and Isaac coming back together? Well, I don't know. I, I think there's probably more to it. I think the Keturah plays a big role here. You know, she we, you and I have talked before that she's the most ignored significant person in the Bible. And um, th there's a lot of discussion of her in Jewish texts for a variety of reasons. Um, one of them is the natural sort of nationalistic reason or particularistic reason of trying to rule out others to say that, you know, our line is the most important line. And, and, and this reminds me, I think uh, your listeners will remember the Smothers Brothers, great comedians, but they had a routine where they always talked about mom always liked you best. And this is sort of a human natural thing between siblings. And um, some of the stories are to show that Keturah and all of her descendants are sort of excluded from the legacy of the of Abraham, um, all of his uh, all of his inheritance that that should go to Isaac. And that's why, for example, Sarah forces Abraham, influences him to send away um, Hagar and Ishmael. And, and, uh, and the Midrash even goes further that when, um, when Abraham went to visit uh, his son Ishmael, because even though they were living somewhere else, the Midrash says that Abraham uh, once a week would go to visit like a visiting parent you know, after a divorce. And as he left the house, Sarah would say to him, um, when are you going to be home? I want to have dinner ready. When are you going to be home? And she obviously just wanted to make sure she, he came home uh, soon. And she says, and promise me one thing. He said, what? She says, when you're there and you get there, please don't get off of your camel. Okay. So she was so zealous in protecting. She didn't want the relationship between Abraham and, and Hagar to be revived. So uh, that is right. why. The, the, don't get off your camel is kind of code for 
I don't want you uh, interacting with her in a physical manner. That's correct. I think that's a very delicate way of saying. <laughs> um, our teacher didn't always say things in such a delicate manner, but but yes, that's 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 exactly right. So that's why at the end, when Keturah is there, um, some of our tradition tries to link Keturah to Hagar. They want to say she's the same person as Hagar coming back much later, and they go to great lengths in in our midrash, in our uh, in our uh, illustrative material and commentary to say that um, she um, she was Hagar because when Hagar went away, she remained faithful to Abraham in spite of all the things that you know Abraham had done to her. And when he, she came back at the end as Keturah, um, she, her name became Keturah because it means incense with a fragrant smell because she was pure. She remained, she remained uh, exclusively his even while she was gone all those years. And that's where Keturah's name comes. But I, I have to point out that most scholars and also most commentators, including Ibn Ezra and Nachmanides and Rashbam, uh, say, no, this is a separate person from Agar. But it, it's Rashi, who's probably the most famous medieval commentator, lived in France in the 11th century, who wants to say that Hagar became Keturah. Uh, Rashi, I think, has a tendency to try to make everything fit. And I think a lot of us who look at the Bible want everything to fit because, you know, when some people look at the Bible, they take it very literally. And I think I think Rabbi Garten, one of the things we learned uh, in, in rabbinical school and also in our experience is that we need to take the Bible seriously. But taking the Bible seriously does not always mean taking it literally. In fact, often it doesn't. So, right. Yes, yes, you're you're absolutely right that Jewish tradition says there are two types of truths in the Torah. There are truths with a T and a capital T at that that are eternal truths, and then there are truths that are not eternal truths. Um, and one of them, of course, is in the story of Genesis, which we see um, as an example of these two things, that there are eternal truths about our relationship to the Creator, but the story, the telling of seven days doesn't necessarily fit into the paradigm of an eternal truth um, and with Keturah, it's one of those things that makes one believe that um, Torah comes to tell us many different lessons. Um, and Keturah comes to tell us a lesson of family continuity and the need for people to think about what their behaviors at one point in their life are like and how perhaps there is a need to bring closure to relationships, which is what happens with Abraham. Um, yeah, the, go ahead. You know, I'm just thinking as you speak that, you know, the Midrashim Rashi's take that this is Hagar means that Rashi was uncomfortable with how that story concluded. Absolutely. Yeah. Things bother Rashi. He lets us know about it. And then he right. tells how he solves it. And it doesn't always work for us. Yeah. As I think that closure is such an important thing, which is why, as you told the story, you got to the part where Sarah dies, and the first thing Abraham does, and we'll get back to this, I hope, is find a burial place for her, for her, because he had such love and respect for her. You don't want to put that on the back burner. You you stop everything. You don't go to work. You're not. You're even excused as a Jew when you have burial duties to take care of 
from going to doing the mitzvahs of everyday prayer so that you can go take care of the dead. It's so important. And his love and devotion to Sarah is such that after she dies and he does that, he then secures a wife for Isaac before he does anything else. It's very important that that comes before him going out and marrying Keturah. He needs to secure a wife for Isaac. So I like to look at that story when he sends uh, when, he, when he sends Eliezer away as um, Abraham being an example of the first Jewish mother in history, getting his, getting his son a bride. And it's only after he finds the right bride. Uh, and Rebecca is not just beautiful. She's beautiful inside. She's kind. She cares. She offers hospitality. These are the, these are the things of the greatest beauty that the Bible's trying to convey to us. That's what we need to look for in another person. They're, so you've helped, a, you've helped us make the transition to the beginning. So let's stay there for a moment. Okay. As you reminded the listeners, um, the Torah portion begins with Sarah dying. And, and the first thing that Abraham does is recognize that um, his life is going to be interrupted. Um, that it's not going to proceed as it had been. And so he wants to honor her memory through ritual. Um, and the Torah portion tells us that he wanted some time for himself, and then he wanted to bury her. Um, and that the burial site was important. Now, you quickly... Um, entered and then left the issue of Jewish death and burial customs. But I thought we should go back to it for our listeners who might not be as uh, conversant with those traditions. So when a person dies in Jewish tradition and they ha are part of your immediate family, wife, children, parents, siblings, there are certain customs that Jews have traditionally followed. So perhaps we can help our listeners by enumerating a couple of them. Share with our listeners um, what happens when someone dies who you're connected with immediately. Well, one of the things we do is we are in grief and we tear our clothing. And today we don't tear our clothing because we don't want to you know, um, to waste important resources, but we tear a little ribbon to indicate that we are in mourning. This is before the actual funeral takes place at the beginning. But we make arrangements for their burial. First of all, you know, of course, today we call the funeral home. We make sure someone stays with the body uh, at the funeral home. The funeral home, uh, you know, accustomed to Jewish practices, make sure that the body is never alone, that someone's always there. There's this respect. Even though the person is dead, that body was the house in which the soul lived. So we need to be respectful toward that body. The body is washed by a Hevra Kadisha, people who are um, trained and bring the right respect to how they take care of preparing the body for burial. Uh, the body is covered with a either a, with a shroud that we, we have uh, in which someone's buried. Uh, often they you can put a suit over it, maybe the person's favorite suit. And you have the funeral, you have a closed casket um, because we're supposed to remember the person for how they were in life and, and not in death. So there are two things that the, these traditions do. One is they honor the dead. 
mm-hmm. by washing it and preparing it for burial and having a shomer, a guardian, sit with the body that may have uh, in antiquity been established so nobody would steal the body. But today we see it as part of the honoring of, yes. of the deceased. Um, and all of these traditions uh, that we garb the person in a shroud so that all people are considered equal in death, so that garments are not um, a sign of wealth. Right. And, and, gar- and a shroud has no pockets. Correct. A reminder, we don't take anything with us from this world except for our reputation and our honor. Good. And and the other thing, of course, which fits with that uh, notion that we're all equal at death is that uh, traditionally Jewish caskets are plain boxes uh-huh. with uh, no metal attached, uh, partly environmentally sound so that it uh, conforms to the uh, biblical statement from dust we came and from dust we return. It goes back to its original state, but also in its plainness, once again, like the shroud, it's an indication that when we die, we only have our good name and our reputation to take with us. um, And that none of our material successes can accompany us on the way, as opposed to other traditions at that time. Yes, and, and, and Rabbi Garten, I think that this also um, reminds us of human nature. That is to outdo one person outdoing the next. And it wasn't until, I think, in the first century, a very well-known rabbi insisted, and he was very well-regarded, and all of his disciples wanted to make a big fuss over him. And as he was getting close to death, he says, look, you need to bury me in a plain pine box, in a, in a kittle, in a shroud, and I want to set an example that in death we're all equal. And it took a leader such as him to set the example. And that's where the tradition came down, that if he, this great rabbi, was buried that way, then who am I to insist on trying to outdo him or anybody else? So again, it's recognition of human nature, which is so much of what Jewish tradition tries to deal with. Just like the the Smothers Brothers thing about, mom liked me better, you know, liked you better. And and I think that we see this in this text again with the comparisons of Sarah and Keturah. You know, a- Abraham wanted to be loyal to Sarah, but he also had this, this uh, obviously, a love of Keturah where they produced six sons who are part of the tribes that are descended from Abraham helping to fulfill that great promise. You know, the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And that's, that's where they list all the progeny through Ishmael and through Keturah. At the end, I, I think that brings that back to the to the end story where we begin. So we've um, gone full circle, but there is one part of the Abraham story. Mm-hmm. Since we're can, this parasha helps us conclude the life of Abraham and Sarah, and that is Sarah is buried, and Abraham wants to ensure that she has proper burial in a cave, mm-hmm. and then Abraham is dies and is buried in the same cave. And the cave, we're told, is in Hebron, Mm -hmm. which leads us from the past to the present. And that is that Jewish tradition tells us that in Hebron, the city in um, modern Israel, 
by the same name that there is a location in which the matriarchs and the patriarchs are buried. Right. Um, why do you think it was so important? Moses, we don't know where he was buried. Correct. And other leaders uh, from the biblical epic, we don't know where King David was buried or Saul was buried or Solomon. But here, Abraham and Sarah, um, we're told, and Rebecca too, we're told that they're buried there. Why do you think or what do you hypothesize is the importance of knowing this burial site? Well, again, the Midrash tells us wonderful stories about this place. Um, this place called Machpelah, which means doubling, and it's also called Kiryat Arba, the place of four. And uh, the three, of course, are Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah. Rachel, we know, was buried on the road to Bethlehem so that she would be there when the exiles leave. Right. So, so the question is, who's the fourth couple? <clears throat> and according to the tradition, when Abraham was preparing the calf for the uh, guests, the visitors that came to see him and Sarah, he went chasing after the calf, and the calf led him into this cave of Machpelah. And when he went in, he saw these two bodies lying, a male and a female, and above them this glow from the, the memorial candle. It was Adam and Eve, and they were sleeping so peacefully, and there was a great fragrance. Again, the scent. I think that our text is very aware of our senses, a great scent, sort of like Keturah's name, a scent. And he looked at them and he said, this is where I will need to, I want to be buried too. Because, according to tradition, because it was Adam and Eve, this was the entrance to paradise. And Abraham wanted Sarah and him to spend the afterlife in paradise. Together. And, and together, exactly. And, and, and this is such a beautiful, beautiful story that this is the this is the entrance to paradise and um and that's what drove him to do that the great scent um it became the and today it's a holy site for Jews and Muslims and machpelah also means doubling there's an upper and lower room and today both Jews and Muslims have it as a holy site i i got to visit it um in my first year in, in Israel for uh HUC and uh I'll always recall it. it. It's 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 vivid in my mind. It's a difficult place to visit now because of conflict, but it's uh, it's that site that uh, that stays with you forever once you've seen it. So yes, uh, the cave of Machpelah is a very important place uh, in our tradition, and and Hebron remained one of the four holy cities throughout Jewish history. It's a a great sadness that this week's Torah portion speaks of. Um, a coming together of different strands of Abraham, Sarah, Ishmael, Keturah, and that the uh, cave of Machpelah, as it's described in the Torah portion, is a place of harmony. Couples come to begin their ascent to the world to come. Mm -hmm. um, Abraham and his descendants are there, and yet in reality, Hebron has become a place of conflict. Right. It's uh, like so much in the Middle East, it uh, flies in the face of some of the beautiful truths of the sacred text. Um, it's also, one should remember, um, a story about how important burial is in Jewish tradition. 
and how while uh, many Jews today opt for cremation, it's still the norm and perceived to be the greatest mitzvah to be buried um, uh, so that you can fulfill the intentionality of dust to dust, um, but also that you can be buried with your loved ones, like Abraham and uh, Sarah were buried together. Yes. Uh, In another time, we can discuss our teacher, Hanan Brickto's theory on kin cult land and afterlife and how important it was to be buried in one's ancestral land. And- well, you, you mentioned our teacher, Hanan Brickto, and you're right, we should devote a whole episode just to his wisdom. Um, I want to thank Rabbi Norman Cohn of Minnesota for joining me today. Um, it has been a wonderful uh, exploration of our Torah portion, Chaye Sarah. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can find a podcast of our conversation, of this morning's conversation, on iTunes or on the CHRI website. Shalom and have a good day. Shalom